We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, this Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic. Welcome to We the Deplorables podcast. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, and we are going to continue our discussion on uh, January 6th. I've been doing a deep dive into it. I've been doing a lot of research, and I think you guys are probably going to be uh, maybe not surprised, but maybe a little bit shocked as far as what is going on. And we have entered a new war on terror. It's uh, 2.0, and it's a domestic war uh, on terror, or a war on domestic terrorists. So let me play you uh, what Jen Psaki uh, said when she was referring to this so-called war on domestic terrorists. President's response to domestic violent extremism, the January 6th assault on the Capitol, and the tragic deaths and destruction that occurred uh, underscored what we have long known. The rise of domestic violent extremism is a serious and growing national security threat. The Biden administration will confront this threat with the necessary resources and resolve. We're committed to developing policies and strategies based on facts, on objective and rigorous analysis, and on our respect for constitutionally protected free speech and political activities. Our initial work on DVE will broadly fall into three areas. The first is a tasking from President Biden sent to the ODNI today, requesting a comprehensive threat assessment coordinated with the FBI and DHS on domestic violent extremism. This assessment will draw on the analysis from across the government and as appropriate non-governmental organizations. The key point here is that we want fact-based analysis upon which we can shape policy. So this is really the first step in the process, and we will rely on our appropriate law enforcement and intelligence officials to provide that analysis. The second will be the building of an NSC capability to focus on countering domestic violent extremism. As a part of this, the NSC will undertake a policy review effort to determine how the government can share information better about this threat support efforts to prevent radicalization, disrupt violent and extremist networks, and more. There's important work already underway across the interagency in, in, in countering DVE, and we need to understand better its current extent and where there may be gaps to, uh, to address so we can determine the best path forward. DVE is domestic violent extremists. Now, I want you to make sure that you understand that they have clearly defined the media and the government who they consider DVE. And that is white folks who believe in the Bible, who believe in carrying a weapon, 
who believe in the patriot uh, patriotism, who believe that America is exceptional, who believe in the right to defend ourselves if threatened, who believe in faith, family, and God. Now, this is clearly been said on the media. You can just Google, you can just search and find out uh, what they actually think about us uh, as Americans, those that uh, believe in the Constitution, which, by the way, one thing you need to understand, the Constitution does not give you your rights. The Constitution enshrines those rights. Our rights come from God, and that is what the Founding Fathers specifically laid out all the way from We the People Declaration of Independence, which said that government is formed to protect uh, God-given inalienable rights, down to our Constitution and down to our Bill of Rights that further explained them. And so any patriot, anybody who believes in Donald Trump, in fact, regardless of skin color, is considered an extremist, is considered a white supremacist. And I highly, highly recommend that you get Fox Nation and watch Tucker Carlson's Patriot Purge, which I'll play short clips as we go through today's episode. This uh, clip that I played from Jim Pisaki was uh, January 20th, 2022. So this was post-January 6th. And uh, they've since that time, they have begun to purge Trump supporters and patriots out of the military. Let me play you a section from part two of uh, Tucker Carlson's Patriot Purge on this activity. Our knees and pray. In Iraq, during the first war on terror, the U.S. government tore down all vestiges of the previous regime and then reordered the society from the top to the bottom. First, our authorities targeted the people who had guns, law enforcement, and the military. And then they turned their attention to the minds of the entire population. At the time, they called these weapons of mass persuasion. Psychological warfare. It looks familiar now. It's very concerning that military service members and law enforcement officers with badges and guns are a target for recruitment by these extremist groups. Before I, I was a special agent, I was in information warfare. The military has to do more to address extremism in its ranks. Extremism in the military. And I think we're going to have to reset our entire uh, intelligence approach. Law enforcement agencies need a rebalancing similar to what occurred after 9-11 when the counter-terror focus became Al-Qaeda and ISIS. If you ask anybody in the asymmetrical warfare realm if we're at war, they will tell you without a doubt, yes. The first insurrection of what I suspect will be many insurrections. We are dealing with an insurgency in the United States. Influence and psychological warfare are the most powerful forces on the planet. I have seen this happening in the mainstream media being used on American citizens and I can reverse engineer exactly what they're doing and it's very dangerous and alarming to me as a professional in this trade. My name is Emily Grace Rainey. I was a captain with the Psychological Operations Group at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I am essentially a propagandist for a living. This new terrorism advisory is not based on any actual threats or plots, but it says there's a rise in anti-government rhetoric. A very broad range of political views. A broad range of ideologically motivated actors. The term extremism 
is being kept nebulous for a reason. Some of it is opposition to COVID public health rules like mask and vaccine measures. Some calls for violent action are based on claims of election fraud or a belief that Donald Trump can be reinstated. It's so that there is gray area and they can use the term as they like against the people that they like to use it against. Me, for example. Fort Bragg is investigating a psychological operations officer who led a group of people from North Carolina to the rally in D.C. that led up to those deadly riots. I went and I saw my commander-in-chief. We're going to walk down to the Capitol and I'll be there with you. At my nation's capital, took a hundred of my friends and they ostensibly ruined my career had I wanted to stay. They revoked my clearance. They denied me a commission in the reserves so that I could finish out to retirement. And then they put a gag order on me that lasted from January until now. The job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. But we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. So that I could not tell you today what the world needs to hear. So if you see someone putting something that's extremist out there, that's a fellow Marine, it's now your duty to report. It cannot be overstated how dangerous targeting your political opponents is and purging them out of the one place where you are legally allowed to have a gun and use it government-ordered use of weapons. The danger of that cannot be overstated. This is amazing. And uh, this lady, we're going to get into more of her stuff in a little bit, but she basically worked in PSYOPs, and she was lied about. She was purged from the military. The guy that said we need to get on our uh, knees and pray was an ATF uh, officer who just was at the rally that day. He had nothing to do with anyone going into the Capitol. He's just like, man, this is crazy. He was upset that police officers were being targeted by some people and uh, for that he lost his job his career was uh, ruined so uh, there's a propaganda machine and it's called the media in fact anytime I try to research the material for this podcast I cannot find anything that is not negative against Trump, that is not negative against Trump supporters. I cannot find anything that is positive whatsoever uh, concerning Republicans, etc. on Google. I literally have to get my research, get my information from sources that I have learned to trust like Epoch, Daily Wire, etc. I mean, it's unbelievable what they are doing. And, um, and then I want to take you to uh, this war on terror and how it is being uh, described against us by a guy that has been doing a lot of research. Uh, he's, um, oh, let's see, Darren Beatty, maybe. Uh, they'll introduce him here, but he's the one of the guys that's been writing some articles or he's an editor for Revolver. And I've been reading a, an in-depth investigation into the players that actually kick-started the riot of January 6th. And I think some of the things that have been uncovered will uh, surprise you. But this right here will definitely give you an idea of what they consider the war on terror to, to be. But, I mean, just to recap... You've got American citizens 
that are serving in our country and because they are Trump supporters, because this lady took some grandmas to the rally to have a great time and to support her president and to hear her president, because she was there, she was labeled an extremist, a terrorist, and lost her job. And if you look at, like if you just Google January 6th, they'll call it a Capitol riot, which it was a riot. Uh, We just need to know who was behind it. But they'll call it deadly, deadly. Everyone calls it deadly. The only person that was actually killed January 6th was an unarmed veteran, which we'll get into. And so I'm going to show you how they lied even about the police officer that they said was bashed in the head. They've had to walk these things back, but it's the foot in the door approach, which we're going to get into some of that later in this podcast. But let me uh, clearly define to you what this war on terror is for our, the propaganda machine of the media and now our government. Is coming after half of the country. The January 6th assault on the Capitol and the tragic deaths and destruction that occurred underscored what we have long known. The rise of domestic violent extremism is a serious and growing national security threat. The Biden administration will confront this threat with the necessary resources and resolve. America is not a place where you hold people for months in solitary without charges. This is what Guantanamo was set up for, for Al-Qaeda terrorists who were not U.S. citizens. You don't do that. That's not America. That's the gulag. You thought the first war in terror was dysfunctional, unjust, counterproductive. Wait until you get war on terror 2.0. And our office wants to ensure that there was shock and awe that we could charge as many people as possible. We heard a loud voice bark out, FBI, come out with your hands up. People who are witnessing this inside Baghdad, uh, it must be shock and awe indeed. The new Secretary of Defense ordered the entire U.S. military to, quote, stand down while investigators cleanse the ranks of political extremists. Purging out of the military any dissenting voice. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. January 6th was a honeypot. They're going to use this event for every bit of political persecution they can milk out of it. and the national security state. You can't distinguish between Al-Qaeda and Saddam when you talk about the war on terror. Used exaggerated threats and outright deception. Contacts between Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein's regime, there are others. We know they have weapons of mass destruction. To associate certain ideas with certain events. 9-11 is Saddam Hussein weapons of mass destruction. This was the first war on terror. Now, it's happening again. January 6th was worse than 9-11. The very same corrupt interest in Washington that pushed the Iraq war under false pretenses are now pushing the lie of a domestic white terror army. 
Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. They are tying white nationalist terrorism to Trump voters. You voted for the person who the Klan supported. They're tying January 6th to 9-11. I would like to see January 6th as burned into the American mind as firmly as 9-11. They're tying millions of law-abiding Americans to Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Pushing them more into this violent white extremism, much the way bin Laden, you know, did sort of inspiring people to be this way. You link two concepts together, even if they don't belong together. No external terrorists ever did this to us. We've never worried like this, even after 9-11. You put it in a headline. MAGA terrorists. Al-Qaeda. When you shove it in people's throats enough. Not Al-Qaeda. White supremacists. Then they come to believe it. January 6th is being used as a pretext to strip millions of Americans, disfavored Americans, of their core constitutional rights and to defame them as domestic terrorists. But what exactly happened on January 6th? How much of what we were told about that day is a lie. So one thing that Tucker Carlson is bringing out here is, and, and this is fascinating, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, I, I do believe I've talked about some of it in past episodes, that the media is literally given um, a book on what terms and phrases to use. I don't know if it comes out daily. I don't know if it comes out uh, weekly, if it comes out monthly, but that's why you can listen to several different media personalities and they use the exact same words and phrases, even the exact same words and phrases uh, uh, that the government uses. I mean, it's almost like it is um, planned, right? Well, it is. And so what they're doing in this media narrative of January 6th is they're tying January 6th to uh, 9-11, and they're trying to make it as infamous and as horrible as 9-11 was. Well, we know that in 9-11, thousands died, and it led to wars uh, that were longer than the Vietnam War. So January 6th has nothing to do with 9-11, but they have to paint a picture that Trump supporters are white supremacists that are determined to take over this country, kill black people randomly and without any impunity, just do whatever they can. But it's a guarantee. Everything they are accusing uh, us of on the conservative side, they are actually doing. And they lie I mean, it, without impunity, it is absolutely incredible. No matter how many times these people have been exposed as being liars, they keep doing it because they keep getting away with it. You know, like, for example, if you watch the news, even on Fox, you'll get the picture or the idea that Americans are in a civil war against each other, that um, there are some of us that hate other Americans and we want to, you know, take each other down, et cetera, et cetera. Well, recently my kiddos uh, moved to the East Coast. And one thing that was very interesting is he said once they got out of uh, this state and they began to go up into states where you would think that, you know, they're probably uh, maybe anti-Trump, anti-conservative, or even ones that maybe are anti-Democrat. He said that everyone was so nice and they were so pleasant. And it was like they loved doing their job. Everywhere they went, wherever they ate, wherever they got um, gas, it was just a pleasant experience. Here's the thing. The East and the West Coast, it's feeding us 
These lies are trying to pit us against one another. This is how socialist takeovers work. And we've got to be aware of that. So I'm going to play you a part of an outright lie uh, concerning uh, Officer Sicknick, who we were told was killed by Trump supporters. Darren Beatty of Revolver News is one of the few in media who's done real reporting on what actually happened on January 6th. The establishment narrative. The worst single act of political violence since the Civil War. Donald Trump supporters killing police officers. Was MAGA blood libel. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the hours-long attack. They beat a Capitol Police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. He died at the age of 42 after he was bludgeoned the fire extinguisher. A rioter hit Officer Sicknick in the head with a fire extinguisher. Hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher. There's just one problem with the story. It never happened. The New York Times has quietly retracted its story about the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. There was no, no such thing. There was no fire extinguisher involved at all. And the paper is backpedaling, admitting that it's possible he was never even hit at all. New York Times retracted the story. They moved to a different story. Cater is seen spraying bear spray into the face of Officer Brian Sicknick. It was bear spray. It was bear spray that killed Officer Sicknick. Revolver News found the video shows no spray coming out of the container. It's a lie. Sure enough, eventually the media admits Revolver.News is right. The D.C. medical examiner today ruled that Capitol Hill police officer Brian Sicknick died of natural causes. Officer Sicknick died of natural causes. He did not die at the hands of the MAGA mom, and yet you still see in the mainstream media this reporting that it was a deadly mob. A murderous mob. A murderous mob. A murderous mob. Deadly January 6th attack on the Capitol by a mob of Trump supporters. They got the word deadly from this false reporting on Sicknick. It was a blood libel. And again, the national security state was operationalized on the basis of that narrative. So now, according to this narrative of Officer Sicknick that they, you know, like you just heard, was first reported that he was bludgeoned to death by Trump supporters, come to find out he died of a stroke, natural causes, had nothing to do with the January 6th. So now they're trying to say, okay, well, bear spray. Bear spray killed Officer Sicknick. Well, I'm not sure how bear spray would kill somebody, but nothing was sprayed at Officer Sicknick. Signet. So we're now called from that lie by the media, the murderous mob of Trump supporters. So the Stop the Steal rallies are being called white supremacist movements, even though many that are there are not even white. So the idea is that if you follow Trump, you have to be a racist. You have to be a supremacist, a white supremacist. And the reality is the guy that actually organized the Stop the Steal is Arab. He's not even white. But that's the narrative. 
And again, you try to find anything positive on Trump or Trump supporters or any of his accomplishments, forget it. The only place you're going to see the accomplishments are the ones that I post every week on the uh, Destination Churches or the Hub Apostolic Training Center's uh, Facebook page, my own personal Facebook page, because it is impossible to find anything positive on any of the traditional sources like Google, Yahoo, etc. So here are the facts. There had been several Stop the Steal rallies that were already occurred that were peaceful. You had to have a permit to be on Capitol grounds, which they got. And they had a permit to go to Lot 8, but they were directed elsewhere. So the question is, why? Why were they directed elsewhere and by whom, which we're going to get into? So just like we were lied to, about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We are being lied about, lied to about each other in this country. We are being lied to about January 6th. And like you heard in the last episode, people are literally sitting in pre-trial detention under horrific conditions, which you'll hear more about that later, uh, uh, because of January 6th on misdemeanor charges. Misdemeanors. So, professional agitators... False flags and propaganda are tearing this country apart on purpose. And we as believers, we must be wise as a serpent. We must not fall for what we're being fed uh, by the media, while at the same time continue urgent education plus the supernatural power of God to reclaim this nation. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that God sets in the heavens and laughs at his enemies. I believe it's Psalm 2. I could be incorrect on that. And so that is what's happening. We have to tap into the heart of God, the joy that he has, and the idea that America cannot be stolen out of his hand. On the other side of that is we play a role. What is your role? Whatever it is, pursue it with all of your heart, but source it from a place of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Get your downloads, get your ideas in that place of prayer. I mean, just like you're my phone that says, Jesus is waiting for you every day at eight. That is my reminder to pause. Now I've been having a Jesus day all day. I do that every Monday. So um, I've already had that time today. But that, if you have, you schedule, this is what I learned years ago, schedule your time with him like you would a doctor's appointment. And unless an emergency arises, that is a, an appointment set in stone for you to spend with him. So back to the January 6th, if you look at it, it is in stark contrast that to what had been happening for eight months in 2020. In 2020, after um, the Floyd death, rioters cost $8 billion in damages. They killed over two dozen people, yet Kamala helped bail out many of the rioters by paying their bail for money that was raised. The media and the government leaders vocally supported the riots, and they called them mainly peaceful. And I'll never forget, I was watching uh, the news, and there was a CNN reporter, some bald guy with glasses, standing in front of buildings being uh, burned down in the background saying they were mainly peaceful. That's how stupid they think we are. That's how dumb they think the American people are. In January, uh, January or June 2020, disgraced Chris Como said this, quote, No, 
The problem is what forced your fellow citizens to take to the streets, persistent and poisonous inequities and injustice. Please show me where it says protesters are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Well, that would be the First Amendment, sir. And then to top it off, you got disgraced Chris Como who lied and helped his brother, uh, Governor Como, hide sexual allegation and uh, sexual abuse uh, complaints, the deaths of tens of thousands of seniors from COVID because of his policies. He now has uh, some allegations against him for uh, uh, sexual uh, situations. And then you have him and Don Lemon talking about um, the January 6th stuff and or the protests, etc., that's been going on in the country. And let me just get this clip up. And, and listen, these are, Don Lemon, ironically, is married to a man, number one. The other problem is the man's white. And yet, we're white supremacists. He's calling all white people white supremacists. And these people um, have these comments to say about our president uh, during the riots. Let me get this up here. Uh, Attorney General is going to come out. He's going to look over the troops and then they're going to go in and this president is going to look strong for his what people for his constituents. We botched that last part. That was one of the most lame things I've ever seen. What he did today at the same time he was saying he was allied with peaceful protesters. He was he had people smashing into him with plexiglass shields and using tear gas on him at the same time. It was a lie in real time. He timed it perfectly. Yeah. You know, the last time he went to church. No. Even go inside. New Year's. You know what they say about people who are afraid to walk inside a church? No. Yeah. (laughs) He held up a Bible, Don, outside a church that is known for social justice work in its community. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Didn't want him there. Two Corinthians, I'm sure he read it as he went in. Thank you very much, Chris. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. So these people, okay, so let me just reiterate. (coughs) Excuse me. Don Lemon a gay man married to a white man, and Chris Como, who has allegations of sexual um, advancement, harassment, etc. Laughing about President Trump holding a Bible in front of a church. You know why he held that Bible up in front of the church during the, the rioting? Because he wanted to show that we are strong in God and that we are not divided. And these people are laughing And they're making fun of him. And they're saying that basically he's afraid to be in church. That's why he hasn't gone since January. And then he didn't go inside. The hypocrisy, the arrogance in these people, no wonder, guys, they're falling left and right in disgrace. You don't attack people of uh, faith like that. So we've got the media. We've got professional agitators. They have been in all the riots, including 2020. Any riot that you saw, remember the stories of bricks being dropped off on street corners, uh, complex 
and uh, sophisticated messaging, well-funded where they're like paying people $15, $16 an hour, some $20 an hour to go and protest. People are being shipped in. I mean, there was report after report of people being shipped into these places and they were causing the violence. It would be a peaceful protest and then these professional agitators would show up. And this has been used for decades all over the world. When you look back in the 1986, I believe it was a peace summit that Russia was holding, the U.S. actually sent in people to start riots to discredit Russia and others. One professional agitator that keeps showing up is, like I said, John Sullivan. In fact, he shows up in key times, like at the beginning of the riot, uh, at uh, when Ashley Babbitt was shot. He is or was, I haven't verified this, uh, if he's still the leader of a group called Insurgents USA. And we're going to dig into him in later episodes. But witnesses also saw agitators changing uh, clothes from the typical black Antifa garb to pro-Trump garb. Let me play that for you uh, real quick. January 6th was a political warfare operation. Having been trained by professional agitators in the past, I saw that this is a coordinated effort, that there are different cadres of of agents, provocateurs, and other troublemakers who had a sort of a military-like precision in what was to become a storming of the Capitol. You could start seeing different units of agents, provocateurs. They were assembled right here on the Statue of Peace and they were assembled in various places on this walkway, goading members of the crowd, trying to cause trouble. It's time for a revolution! One of those agitators was a full-time left-wing activist called John Sullivan. John Sullivan, I mean, what he does best is agitate. He causes problems, and that's what he's known for on the left and the right. I mean, he is the person that organizes all of these events and riots in Utah with his group, Insurgents USA. Journalist Taylor Hansen was also at the Capitol on January 6th. While living in Utah, he was attacked by members of John Sullivan's group. And it was, you know, right shortly after George Floyd died. I was, I was riding my motorcycle downtown. You know, for some reason, there was just this huge car rally. And I had no idea what it was. You know, I had to weave them back and forth uh, between, the, between these cars. And I ended up pulling over. And that's when I actually first encountered John Sullivan and his group, Insurgents USA. And Antifa attacked me, ruining my bike. and. Basically just, I mean, I actually had a gun pointed to my head at that rally specifically, and that was from John Sullivan's Insurgents USA group. He knows his stuff, and he knows how to, you know, start something in a crowd, or, you know, to almost talk somebody into initiating violence for him on his behalf. The FBI affidavit says he's on video egging on protesters at the Capitol. He said things like, we're about to burn this down and we ain't waiting until the next election. I saw multiple agitators changing clothes. You know, they had huge backpacks. They'd have someone guarding the corner as they'd go and change clothes. In the initial phase, it was changing uh, from Black Bloc into Trump gear right before it all started and when they actually started attacking the police. The police... On the Victory News uh, Flashpoint, um, and I cannot find the episode again because I believe it's been taken down, but they had actual video of black SUVs bringing in, in Antifa and paid uh, professional agitators. And so you've got video of these agitators literally changing clothes. And if you continue to watch a lot of the footage from the Capitol attacks, if you can find some legitimate footage that hasn't been taken down, 
you see several times Trump supporters were attempting to stop the agitators. And they thought that the people that were causing problems were part of them, but they weren't. Now, some got carried away. That's why I say we've got to have the wisdom of a serpent. We have to understand uh, our enemy. And I'm not referring to the government. And I'm not referring to other people. I'm referring to the devil. He, he is able to trick us into things that we should not get into. And that's exactly what happened on January 6th for some people where they did trespass. Some did get uh, out of line, but there's also the fact and the idea that um, false flags and professional agitators were brought in. Remember what I said in the first episode of this series, half of the D.C. police force was sent home and that offer to bring in the National Guard to help was denied. Why? If they were so worried, why? And then here's what's interesting. When the people were trying to cause problems, all the other Trump supporters were like, hey, 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 calm down. We're not here for this. So things did calm down until, and it's weird, people that were there said it was the weirdest thing because things were peaceful. Police fired tear gas into the peaceful crowds and then pushed a man off the wall. Now it has angered the people that were there, including Trump supporters. And then, like I've said, I watched this video where people were uh, coming, like the police were literally moving barricades, opening doors. And we'll get into that and how one guy, that's going to be his defense. He was actually pushed into the Capitol building uh, and doors were literally opened. But this uh, clip I'm going to play you is the QAnon uh, shaman, which by the way, uh, he got a lighter sentence because he um, renounced being a Donald Trump supporter. Um, I'm sure you've seen him. He looks like a Viking dressed up. He goes into the Senate. Uh, please pardon the language, but I want you to pay attention to what the Capitol Police officer said who was nonchalantly walking behind him. And I have all of these links in the uh, show notes, of course. Glad to see you guys. You guys are fucking patriots. Look at this guy. He's got covered in blood. God bless you. You good, sir? Do you need medical attention? I'm good, thank you. All right. That was a police officer. I got shot in the face with some kind of plastic bullet. Any chance I could get you guys yeah. to leave the Senate wing? We will. I've been making sure they ain't disrespecting the place. Okay, just want to let you guys know this is like the sacredest place. I know. I know. Hey, no, and I'm going to take it. To, I'm going to take it. Because my pants is a fucking trick. So again, if you watch the video, and this is from the New Yorker, the Capitol Police guy, he's just walking around like it's no big deal. I mean, why were they so accommodating? Who kicked all of this off? Why were people changing clothes? Why were there so many professional agitator, agitators? We have a long history of using extremist groups like we did with ISIS and Al-Qaeda in this country. We have a very long history. Let me play you another clip from part one of the Patriot Purge on Tucker Carlson tonight in uh, Fox Nation. Actually, I want to hold off on that clip because that gets into another uh, interesting tie to uh, January 6th, and that's the Whitmer uh, plot uh, to kidnap her. Okay, so what I want to finish up with today before we get into the good news is I'm reading this book called Dark Covenant, How the Masses Are Being Groomed. Um, it's uh, got Allie uh, Henson, I think, in there. 
and and Donna, let's see, Donna something. Um, I, I, if I go to the front of the page, I'm going to lose my, my place. So uh, anyway, she basically knows her business when it comes to uh, propaganda and, and even marketing and things like that. And she goes through the tactics that are being used to shape our culture's mentality. So I just want to real quick go through these so you understand what's going on and you can recognize them when you see uh, different media reports, etc., the first is uh, conditioning, and she cites Russian psychologist Ivan Pavlov. As many remember from high school psychology class, he trained his dogs to salivate on demand by associating the sound of a tuning fork with their food. In essence, his experience proved that by applying the tone, the conditioned response became a predictable reaction. We see the stimulus response concept played out in a myriad avenues in our day-to-day -day lives, including marketing, sales, and uh, even education. So she talks about innocent things like if you smell food cooking, all of a sudden you're hungry or, you know, perfume, you know, uh, might stimulate a memory or, uh, you know, if the phone rings a lot where you work when you arrive home, you know, it, it just makes you cringe when you hear uh, the phone ring or, you know, uh, energy drink ad where you've got a beautiful, tan, scantily clad woman. Guys want to date her. Girls want to be her. Uh, the list goes on and on and on on how they try to condition us. Then shaping. So this is a slow coaxing of an individual group from one type of behavior or stance into another. It's when successive approximations of the desired behavior are reinforced. So for example, she says a teenager balks at being asked to clean the entire house on a Saturday, so parents might start, start small and after, offer a reward, allowing the teen to visit friends later after making sure the kitchen is clean or the living room is vacuumed. And then as the youth gets used to doing more and more chores and doing a good job and gets a better attitude, they'll add more responsibilities to the list. And then eventually the teenager will be shaped to recognize the importance of a tidy house. So this is a good uh, example. In contrast, she says, quote, when we study how far today's church has drifted from the leadership of devout, prayerful, theologically inclined saints of generations past, we see that an increasingly lackadaisical attitude reinforced by the conveniences and leisure of the world's offering, it's certainly no stretch of the imagination to see that our body of believers have been reshaped in a negative manner. She then talks about the tactic of selective exposure an omission. And so this is, you know, where you may go into a place where the only thing you see are bumper stickers that are far left, or you may only see bumper stickers that are far right. You might only see books that are uh, either or. You don't see an exposure to different ideas. And she says one of the simplest ways that groups of people are groomed to embrace a certain point of view is by selective expo exposure. When the masses don't hear both sides of an issue, the one that's regularly argued becomes familiar. Over time, since it's warmed to this position, and a large percentage of people tend to push against anything that would challenge that uh, position. And so we see that when the church's core beliefs become to be labeled as hate speech, 
They'll begin to disappear from the mainstream public view because they're no longer uh, politically correct. Then scriptural values are perceived as threatening. And over time, uh, people begin to view Christians as extremists, which we are in that time. We are seeing that. And the public media have been shaping society to believe these things for a long time. Then you have door in the face and foot in the doors. They're a little bit similar, but um, she talks about the foot in the door involves introducing an idea or a request on a small scale to prevent immediate rejection. Then it, it builds from there. So like in 1966, a number of people were asked to sign a safe driving petition. Many agreed to do so because it was only a signature, right? And it's a good cause. Two weeks later, the members of this group, along with others, were asked to place a large, ugly sign in their yard, instructing those on the road to drive carefully. The majority of those who had the petition, who had signed the first petition, agreed to post the sign as well. But most of those who hadn't been involved in the petition part of the social experiment refused to place the sign. So by starting small, just a foot in the door, a signature but a statement the signer could personally connect to and remember for two weeks before the bar was raised, people became more open-minded about participating in the safe driving cause on another level. And then, um, let's see, where does she have, hmm, a door in the face. Let me see if I can find this. Okay, so the the door in the face goes in the opposite direction, and it tends to be unexpected. This method provides a false sense of security that comes with believing we have overcome a situation when really we've been duped into letting our guard down. The process is simple. A real request is hidden behind one that will be rejected. So she gives the example of how uh, this lady named Betty wants to borrow a brand new leather high-heeled pair of shoes from Jane. She knows that Jane uh, spent hundred dollars on these shoes and she knows she's going to say no especially because she has ruined uh, something that she had uh, borrowed in the past so she goes to Jane but instead of asking for the shoes she uh, recalls an expensive handbag that cost Jane nearly about three hundred dollars so she asked to borrow that well of course Jane's going to refuse because number one it's more expensive than the shoes and number two Betty's already ruined some stuff Now, acting hurt or maybe disappointed, Betty leaves, but the next day she returns and asks to borrow the pair of shoes. So Jane, who probably feels bad for turning Betty down in the first place, is like, okay, you can borrow the shoes, reasons away that it's a lower replacement value. That way, you know, if uh, Betty runs these, you know, it won't be that big of a deal because she already feels guilty. So the success of the door in the face technique is probably due to our tendency toward uh, mutual reciprocity, making mutual concessions, says psychologist and author Richard Griggs. The person making the request appears to have made a concession by moving to the much smaller request. The individual being manipulated feels obligated to make a concession. It's kind of like the Ben Franklin effect where you can actually create rapport and goodwill by asking someone to do you a small favor. Like, let's say you're going to meet at a restaurant. You can call them ahead of time and say, hey, can you go ahead and order me my tea while I, uh, you know, get there? Or you might arrive and say, hey, can you order my tea while I use the restroom? And that sense of doing someone a favor actually sparks goodwill and rapport. 
Another uh, thing is you can create a problem and then present the solution. So this is where, you know, the media uh, will drive up fear and panic as far as food. Um, people will then, you know, hoard or, you know, like the whole toilet paper thing during uh, COVID. And they're doing that to hide uh, something that they want to do. And then once people are scared enough, they'll present it you know, uh, uh, something that we would normally say no to. So she talks about, um, I don't remember what year it was. Oh, late in 2007, there was um, going to be a shortage of grain and rice products. And even though she had a very, you know, well-stocked pantry, she decided to go ahead and get some. And she says, while the shortages of certain foods were real, other groceries remained in healthy supply. But they weren't brought into focus as an alternative, which would help reduce public panic at least not at first. Then it happened. In January of 2008, the FDA announced that it approved animal cloning for use in food livestock resources. As we talked about earlier in the book, cloning has been a highly debated subject that met with much resistance, and its approval was worded in vague language. The administration's response to consumer concern was dismissive and unspecific. The meat and milk for cattle, swine, and goat clones are as safe to eat as the food we eat every day, said Randall Lutter of the FDA. Well, of course, we don't know that. But here's the thing. They created a fear, and then they introduced something that we would normally say no. It's the same thing with 9-11. We had a reason to be scared. We were just attacked. But what they did, and whether their intentions were good or not, I can't say. It wouldn't surprise me if they were bad. But what they did is, in light of 9-11 and our country being attacked, they um, formed the NSA, uh, or Homeland Security, and then they uh, passed the Patriot Act, Act, which began to strip away our rights enshrined in our Constitution, and in our state constitutions even. And so the fear is a very effective tool to strip us of our rights and to make us say yes to things that we would normally say no. And then gaslighting. Gaslighting happens all the time. It's one of the most subversive of all forms of manipulation because the victims begin to doubt their own perception of reality. That's why it is a guarantee. Whatever the left-wing media is saying, they are doing. It is a guarantee. Whatever they accuse someone of, whether it's you, whether it's President Trump, whether it's Republicans, whether it's Trump supporters, it doesn't matter. Whatever they are saying that you're doing, they are actually doing. But that is gaslighting. It's a typical abusive technique where the abuser plays mental mind games and makes the abused think that they are the cause of what's happening or maybe they didn't think or see what they actually did See, I mean, it goes on and on and on. It develops over time. Uh, it's very, very effective. And people that tend to believe the best in people are particularly vulnerable to gaslighting. And then, that was a long one, polarize the crowd via causes. So causes create comra- comrades. And comrades are those that they are in the battle together, the relationship lasts during the battle, and then usually once the cause is over, uh, relationships are severed. Well, with activism, especially if there's no discernment, what happens are people join causes 
They expend their energy. They you know make connections within the cause, but they become so loyal to the cause that they actually turn on family and friends and others because they're now more loyal to the cause instead of concern for the people. I've, I have never unfriended anyone for being a Democrat, even though I cannot support Democrats at all because of the support of abortion. Uh, now, if there's a Democrat out there that doesn't believe in abortion, that's fine. But why are you still Democrat and why are you voting Democrat? That's my question. Because if you look at a lot of the people that you support that are Democrats, they support abortion. That's all it comes down to for me is killing babies or not killing babies. So, uh, but I have seen with my friends and family members that are Trump supporters, every time Democrat, left-wing people, friends and family, unfriend them, cut off entire relationships because they are Trump supporters. That's the whole situation of going behind a cause and then pitting us against each other. That's, that's what's happening with the government and with the media. And so lines get blurred when you're part of causes because it's kind of like, you know, kids that get involved in gangs. Most of them come from broken homes. And so when they get in this gang, there's a sense of camaraderie. And yet the reality is if you step out of line, guess what? You're either killed or beaten. There's no love there. But... That's what happens with causes. That initial, it's like an abuser that meets a victim. It's like that initial uh, love bombing and acceptance and all of those things create a loyalty that just doesn't make sense. Then you have what's called learned helplessness. This is a method of manipulation based on the premise that people subjected to an undesirable element outside their control eventually lose the power to remove it. So it's a learned helplessness. You've got hardships, and so you look for someone to rescue you. The government usually moves in, and before you know it, it's better to stay at home and live off the government than it is to work two jobs to support your family. And then complicate truth. We have seen this over and over and over where, you know, it's no longer black and white. Uh, Now it's uh, your truth and my truth. So modernism is a shifting of the truth into my truth. And that's where you can say, well, the sun is hot, but my truth is it's snowing outside. I'm cold, so the sun's not nearly hot enough. Or rain makes the ground wet. Well, uh, Allie Henson says, I spent a lot of my adult life in Oregon. Thus, I've seen a lot of rain in my time. And my truth is after a light drizzle, the ground can barely be considered wet. And then another one is, Cows are large animals. Well, they may be large, but they're outranked by hippopotamus and elephant and rhino, so uh, they're only at best medium size. So you have one's own truth, which has now become a person's own perception. There's no longer absolute universal truths like gender, uh, you know, all of the stuff that they're really attacking and going after. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. Um, skew the perspective on love, which we've seen that over and over. You know, the enemy is patient and he will continue um, to use these tactics to um, basically pit us to get, to get uh, against each other and destroy this country. 
So it's very important that we recognize these tactics, that we resist these tactics, and that we create unity uh, in our uh, country. So the action steps are go to um, the show notes or the hubapostolictraining.com and grab the Take Action Save America. Uh, begin to create relationships with people uh, that maybe are outside of your normal um, realm. I mean, you'll be surprised at actually how together we are. Uh, maybe do a book club. Uh, maybe you know, begin to get together and study the Constitution, the different things, watch some Liberty First Society stuff, um, you know, whatever it is, but begin to get the perspective of people outside. You know, it it's amazing how, um, like when I do uh, marital counseling, uh, mentoring, the perspectives of the couple that's in, that's in trouble are similar yet so apart. It's like each person, they're doing things that are running the marriage. And once you give the perspective, hey, this person is probably not doing that to annoy you. And the reason it's annoying you is because of this and this and this. Uh, it's all of a sudden things fall into place. Now, sometimes you have people that are outright narcissists, psychopathic, or they have no interest in saving the marriage. At that point, there's not much that I can do. But for those that are really wanting to save their marriage and to preserve their family, it's amazing what happens when you give them a little bit of insight. And so gather insight from other people. Um, ask questions. Talk to coworkers. What do they think about things? I think you'll be surprised. But the main thing is urgent education. It is so important that we take a stand and we don't let our country uh, be taken over by socialists because it's global elitists. They want a shifting of wealth to a consolidated form, which is basically socialism. Now, if you want to dive into more of how the U.S. has used false flags and professional agitators and uh, terrorist groups and other extremists throughout uh, our history, I recommend uh, the book Terror Factor by Trevor Aronson. It's a, a, a good read. You can get it on Amazon. And like I said, we'll we'll dive into the whole um, uh, Michigan thing and more on January 6th next week. So tonight for the good news, um, this there's a man who had heart surgery. He won a million dollar lottery on a cash word ticket in a get well card. And the winning word, ironically, was heart. His name is Alexander McLeish. He won a million dollar prize in the Massachusetts State Lottery's cash word instant ticket game. And the word that won him the scratch off jackpot was a heartfelt coincidence, to say the least. The Attenborough man who had just gone undergone open heart surgery earlier in the month received a get well card from a friend. And in the card were three instant tickets. The friend went out of his way to buy the scratch off at the same store where he purchased another lottery ticket as a birthday gift for Alexander uh, years earlier, and he actually won $1,000 at that time. This time, the prize was 1,000 times bigger. And uh, as Alexander began to scratch the your letters area of the ticket, the first three letters revealed were A, W, and M, which are his exact initials. As if that wasn't enough, the word that appeared on the bottom row of his winning puzzle, which clinched him the jackpot, was heart. 
with his son by his side, he tried to stay calm because, you know, obviously he just had open heart surgery. McLeish claimed his prize at uh, Massachusetts Lost, uh, Lottery Headquarters in Dorchester on Friday, November 26. He told reporters that he intends to give his longtime friend of over 50 years who bought the ticket some prize money in addition to sharing it with his two uh, adult sons. That's crazy. So anyway, uh, hopefully this podcast makes sense. I've given you some good information. But again, I encourage you, have conversation. Make relationships with people that are outside your normal groups. Make sure you find people and get the idea that we are not as divided as media and the government is trying to make us sound like. Until next week, God bless America.